This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dad, I assume Tom. This afternoon, I have the pleasure of speaking with a man who does not shy away from topics that particularly people don't always want to talk about. Doug Rowland, it is a pleasure to speak with you about your short film, which is clocked in just under 19 minutes, Feeling Through. Congratulations on this film. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Oh, man. Pleasure is mine. You know, you could turn this into an anthology series, to be honest with you. You know, I would definitely love to uh, to continue to tell stories in this space, slash specifically around this story. We do... Uh, have every intent to make a feature film version of it too. So I think there's still some good life left in it. Listen, man, I, I think what, what you're doing here is fantastic. I don't think enough people talk about disabilities. It's always in the, oh, shucks, these people are helpless. I know better than them because I have an ability that they don't. Uh, I have a cousin who's deaf. So it's, it's really funny talking to him. Because he and I can crack jokes that I would never crack with somebody else who is deaf that I didn't know. And it's just us razzing each other. I don't you know, just how we are because it's family. But sure. um, I've never heard the term before, deaf blind. And so is this the official term for someone who has both disabilities like Helen Keller? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, deaf blind is, you know, refers to anyone who has... Uh, dual sensory loss, both vision and hearing. Um, obviously there's, there's quite a, well not obviously, it wasn't obvious to me initially, but there's quite a diverse spectrum of manifestations of deaf blindness when you're working with that dual sensory loss. So, you know, it encompasses anyone who's legally deaf and legally blind, but has some, you know, vision and hearing to, to all the way to someone who's completely deaf and completely blind and really everyone in between. You know, certainly it's, um, a matter of identity. So, Obviously, someone needs to self-identify as deafblind. There are people who have dual sensory loss who might, you know, depending on the degree of it, identify more as deaf or more as blind or some other kind of um, nomenclature um, than deafblind. But, yes, deafblindness refers to that dual sensory loss. And, you know, it was something I knew virtually nothing about prior to the encounter that I had with Artemio uh, 10 years ago who inspired this, who was a man who's deafblind, who I saw standing on a street corner holding a sign that said, I'm deaf and blind and need help crossing the street, very similar to what we see in the film. So it opened up a whole new world to me. And, you know, I've had the real pleasure of partnering with Helen Keller Services throughout this um, throughout this whole process and also, you know, collaborating with dozens and dozens of organizations in the deaf, blind, and disability space. And it's really also been a master, not just a master class for me in learning about the community, but really creating a lot of long-lasting, meaningful friendships in the community, and really, again, opening up a whole new world to me that's been such an, uh, turned out to be such an amazing part of my life now. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I think what, what's fascinating about this is you don't talk down about the character. It, uh, uh, I believe the, the actor's name is uh, Robert or Roberto? Uh, Robert, yes. Robert Tarango is um, the, the uh, actor's deaf line and plays Artie. Yeah. And the character of Artie is complex. I mean, you know, people sit there and think, uh, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler. Uh, Artie goes on a date, but is it really a date? It is the, uh, going through his, you know, Tariq uh, going through his notes. 
So that's that's the closest thing to a spoiler I'll give for that. <laughs> sure. You, you know, I, you're really hitting on something that was really important to me in telling this story is, you know, like you were saying, so often with the dis- disability community, um, first of all, it's hardly ever portrayed in, in film and TV. And, and when it is, it's usually like, uh, you know, oh, aren't we so glad that we're not like them? Or aren't we so glad that we don't have it that hard? Or various narratives around that. And, you know, what I, what was really important in this film was this this mutuality that both both characters provide to have something to provide for each other, and that they both benefit from from meeting and connecting with one another. And ultimately, how the film really is not about deaf blindness; it's about the power of human connection, despite whatever differences we may have, whether it's um, disability, ethnicity, age, you know, um, and other circumstances. Um, and, and, and that was a really important thing to capture that mutuality and also the fact that, um, that, that we all have our, our differences and unique traits and, and abilities and that we all have something to offer each other. Right. And I, I love that, uh, you touch upon how to communicate with somebody that, that goes through both. I mean, we, we saw videos growing up of Helen Keller and the way they did sign language with her was, was in her palm. And that's the way she was able to communicate by also uh, reading and writing uh, or at least being able to write and things of that sort. So, you know, it was great that Tariq was able to pick up on that. Um, I I enjoyed it immensely. That's why I don't want to, you know, give away too much. But there's so many layers within this that it's hard not to. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think um, something that we've had the the opportunity to show the film in a lot of different spaces and, you know, during the pandemic virtually, and we've had a lot of people, you know, come back for our events that I call the feeling through experience that include not just feeling through, but the supporting documentary that we, that I may call connecting the dots that follows the, you know, the journey of casting and working with Robert, who's our deaf one actor, as well as the, the search for our cameo that I'm the man that I met years years prior and also um, followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with the deafblind community. And what's been cool about doing those events now virtually is that we've had a lot of repeat viewers. And something that I often hear is that people get new things from it uh, upon multiple viewings and kind of look at it uh, through different lenses and like different layers of it. And I'm glad that it's something that, you know, someone can experience in a lot of different ways and extract a lot of different, different takeaways from um, and that's been something that's also, again, just nice for people who've, who've viewed it multiple times. Yeah. And, um, what have been some of your experiences in people coming back and revisiting the, the film? And what is it also people trying to at least catch a glimpse of limiting their senses while trying to watch it a uh, second go around? Yeah. Well, you know, just to answer the second part of that first, I think, um, you know, there's, again, for various things that I wouldn't necessarily call spoilers, but moments in the film, you know, there's a moment in the film where the character of Tariq um, does his best to put himself in the shoes of, of our deaf-blind character, Artie. And I think, you know, as far as viewers being impacted, viewers who were not that familiar or maybe not familiar at all with the deaf-blind community 
prior to watching the film, I think it definitely opens up this space to really consider, deeply consider someone else's experience, in this case, someone who's deafblind. I mean, I know something that's, something that's been a huge part of how we show the film, again, through the Feeling Through Experience, as a fully accessible event that includes interpreters, audio description, captions. Sometimes there will be people who want, who are curious to say, you know, who maybe are sighted and hearing, after watching the film, are curious to listen to the audio-described version of it, you know, with, with their eyes closed and kind of experience it in that way, or take in an interpreter who's doing live interpreting of it um, and kind of try to experience it through, through another means. So I do think that there have been a lot of people who, um, you know, from the sighted and hearing community who were, were inspired because of not just the film, but the way, the accessible way in which we show it, to kind of experience it and want to try to experience it in a different way. And again, that's ultimately relates to one of the other things that we're using this film and the experience for is not, first and foremost, we, you know, want it to be a moving and impactful story because it, nothing else really matters if it's not that because no one's going to care about anything else. But beyond being something that we hope really moves and impacts people, it's an opportunity, again, to educate people about the deafblind community, about accessibility, and why accessibility also, just on the note of that, is, is important for everyone, not just for people, you know, it, sometimes we, we might, you know, for those who don't feel like they rely on accessibility on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, they, they might feel like, well, why do I need to know about it? But at the end of the day, we all use accessibility, whether it's like the ability to change the size of the text on our phones or getting on an escalator or an elevator. Um, and, and the more accessible everything is to everyone, the more we can all, you know, have have what is, you know, be able to participate in the things we should have access to. And you having a family member who's deaf, I'm sure, you know, that's something that comes up for you when interacting with or, you know, sharing life experiences with your family member. You know how important accessibility is and how um, in order to have a shared experience, um, you need various elements of accessibility to help uh, facilitate that. Well, I also think it helps that his sense of humor is as twisted as mine. Uh, exactly. Well, that's always step one. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember with, with his uh, with his girlfriend prior to his wife, and uh, she won't hear this, so it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> you know, she was deaf, and so was he. And then the his wife is, is hearing, and I said, "You are the dumbest person on the face of the planet." And when he asked me <laughs> why, I said, "All you had to do to end a fight was turn around and close your eyes." That's funny till she hits me. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, it's, uh, back, you know, back and forth because he's my cousin and I can talk to him like that. I would never talk sure. to a stranger like that, you know, or. Sure. Well, yeah, of course. Like I mean, smartly, rightly so. Like, you, you know, yeah. you know your cousin and how to talk to your cousin. I mean, there's a lot of things we'd say to family members that we wouldn't say to other people. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there's also this weird sort of, um, level of woke points and political correctness. That, that some people would go through and then someone would possibly ask, why isn't alphabetized? Why is deaf before blind instead of blind deaf? Uh, why was the and removed? You know, things of this sort. Is, is there a specific reason that we could tell these people before they start complaining why the term is deaf blind? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And you know, that term has kind of gone through a bit of an evolution itself. Um, and, and you'll see it, you'll see it referred to differently in different spaces, but, but generally speaking of what I know of it, it was initially written as 
like lowercase d dash lowercase b depth line. And then as it started to kind of take off, be a community and an identity in and of itself is when the word started to merge into one word. And then oftentimes now to give kind of both sides of that credence, both letters are capitalized, even though it's one word, which is how we choose to write it is kind of like, I, I guess you could say, the consensus of the most kind of modern and updated way to refer to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you possibly might find people who identify a little bit more with their blindness and their deafness potentially putting blind first, but that would probably be very rare mm-hmm. in individual cases. It's just how kind of through whatever circumstances the, um, the term started to evolve into and then evolve within that. Um, but as far as how it initially became deafblind instead of blind deaf, that I can't necessarily speak to. I'm sure someone knows a really interesting history uh, lesson around that. But, but yet, as long as I've been familiar, it's been deafblind, just written in, in slightly different ways. Right, because my big concern is you're telling an important story here. It's a human story. It's not showcasing anything that would be out of the ordinary if we lived in either a metropolitan city or a small town. It just happens to be Manhattan. Um you know, because I just assumed that you live in New York since that's where the area code was on the on the number. But, um, you know, so I don't want people to try to gain like woke points and question the the less significant title in comparison to the story itself. Sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, one of the advantages um, and one of the real assets and, and, and beauties of this experience has been, um, you know, to anyone who might have questions around that, one of the great things is I, I've had the great opportunity and honor to, to not only partner with Helen Keller Services throughout this whole uh, process, and again, Helen Keller Services, uh, this, a subsidiary of it is the Helen Keller National Center, uh, which is, you know, the foremost center for people who are deafblind to come and train and learn um, various life skills to serve them um, in, in just every function of their life. Um, there are obviously a lot of people there who work there are deafblind themselves, a lot of people the, who work, the rest of the people who work there work with the deafblind population every day, so they're obviously, um, you know, experts, quote unquote, in in this field. But I've also had the opportunity to I, I I work for Helen Keller Services on a week in a week out basis um, as their media director. So I I I'm connect with whether it be through Zoom or phone or or text. I connect with people who are deafblind basically about five to seven days a week every week. So. It's a community that I'm certainly always have a healthy regard for always learning more about and, and educating myself on, but it's also a community that I connect with on a daily basis directly. I've engaged in long-form conversations with many people who are deafblind about the film, about the community, and it's something that I'm always, again, educating myself on, but a lot of what we put out is, is a product of that collaboration, and by no means one person's, like, view or one person's kind of just summation of it all. Like, I, again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a con- ongoing student throughout this process as well and have a real a healthy regard for that. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, take us into the direct, directing Robert Tarango, who is the deafblind actor that is the star of this, along with Stephen uh, Prescott. Am I pronouncing his last name properly? That's correct. Okay. Exactly. I want to give I want to give everybody their credence and pronounce their their last name as, as accurately as possible. Um, but when trying to direct Robert in this, you know, how do you give him direction? Is there a special interpreter on set as well that will 
uh, you know, uh, sign on his, on his palm the way it was for Helen Keller herself and the way we see in the film. Um, you know, how is direction given to, to Robert in this instance? Sure. So, you know, Robert is someone who is deafblind. He has, um, Usher syndrome, which is the leading cause of deafblindness. Um, he, uh, usually, uh, hearing loss comes first and then, and I, um, vision loss later on. And that can happen at various stages of life. For him, he was someone that was born deaf and grew up culturally deaf until like his late twenties. Uh, early 30s where he really started to experience rapid um, sight loss to the point where now he has, again, like what you kind of describe as pinhole vision that's very also very foggy. Mm-hmm. So, you, you, you know, if the circumstances are just, if the lighting's just right and someone's the perp, like specific distance away from him, he can still rely on his vision sometimes in certain situations. But at night where we also shot the film almost entirely at night, he's, he's, he doesn't have any vision in those circumstances. So what we did is, well, we always had a, a communications team um, that included interpreters and, and other support staff to help facilitate all communication. And that, you know, required multiple interpreters who were switching off and, and working simultaneously. Because usually what you have in a situation like that is, I will say something, um, one, of the, uh, one of the interpreters will, will sign that to Robert, Robert will sign back, and then a separate interpreter will voice for Robert what, you know, to me, so I, as someone who doesn't really know sign language, so that I can understand what he's saying, and and then they'll, they'll you know, take turns and switch off because it can be a very taxing job being an interpreter over a long period of time, so we have like a team of interpreters who would rotate jobs um, throughout a shoot day, um, so, you know, we we're very fortunate, again, to have, again, part of my partnership with Helen Keller Services to work with the same team of interpreters throughout the whole process. And again, any great interpreter is going to be able to do a great job on the spot, but it's all the better when you, when you have a rapport, when each individual who's part of that conversation, in this case, Robert and myself, both have a rapport with the interpreter. It just facilitates even that much more of a clear communication. So we really benefited from also having, I got to know the interpreters very well. They had already known Robert quite well. And uh, it really just helped facilitate a smoother communication, both prior to getting on set and then while we were on set. Got it. Uh, I, my biggest fear would be, uh, remember the game in, in kindergarten, how they taught us about rumors, you know, play telephone, where you'd have the one phrase started uh, by one person. By the time you got to the end of the line, it was a totally different uh, sentence that was recited. Um, was there a lot of fear that there would be something lost in translation from spo- from uh, oratory to to sign back and then back from sign to oratory in order to to get the message uh, completely across. Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I'm really you're actually I think the first person to ask me that. Um, so huge kudos to you because it's a brilliant question and one that's very relevant to this process. And the way I'd answer that is that I had to, even though I again, a very rudimentary sign language knowledge myself, I had to learn a key thing about sign language, which is that it's a very distinctly different language from spoken English. And that um, one of the things that I had to learn is someone who, first of all, I think this just can serve me in any conversation, but as someone who kind of previously had the tendency to maybe go off and kind of tangent that that wasn't going to serve the communication but moreover speaking more directly in more concrete terms 
I learned was going to help me communicate more clearly and sharply with Robert because there are certain more figurative or if you could say poetic um, kind of ways of speaking about things and figurative ways that don't necessarily, that run more of a risk of not being, having a, a really strong, clear interpretation. Um, so I learned to really speak a lot more directly um, and a lot more to the point to make sure that I was speaking in a way that allowed for a clear um, and, and, and um, interpretation. Um, so I did have to learn how to kind of adjust how I was speaking. I think it was a great exercise for me because it forced me to be really decisive and really specific um, and really curt, you know, because you, as you well know, I'm sure, uh, being on set, you're often very pressed for time. So just kind of being forced to be really to the point and really immediate about things also helps kind of just facilitate a smoother, um, you know, a smoother goings on set. So that was something that I really had to learn and get better at and, and something that, you know, I carry with me um, being that I'm often in, in, in conversations speaking through an interpreter. I dig it because, you know, there, there's also, uh, you know, American Sign Language and then Sign is English, uh, which I think is a more recent one. Um, because you know, it took me a while. I didn't, I didn't realize at first that there wasn't a universal English sign language that could be related between Canada, the United States, Great Britain, South Africa, Australia, et cetera, with the English speaking. Right. So, you know, um, was there a specific, uh, you know, type of sign language that was used? Was it like American sign language or sign is English or, you know, some other form? Because I don't know Robert's origins and where he, you know, was he born in the States and that's how he grew up with with that style of sign language? Yes. So we, we, we communicated on set, um, exclusively in American sign language. Robert, uh, was born and raised in Arizona, went to Arizona, I guess Phoenix school for the deaf or, or Arizona school for the deaf. I'm forgetting which one, but, um, so yeah, Robert, um, was a native ASL speaker, but we have done events internationally and had, um, you know, different, uh, different types of sign language interpretation for some events that we've done inter- internationally, as you've aptly pointed out, um, there are, uh, you know, many different types of sign language and, and within it, uh, even within ASL, there's a lot of different dial- regional dialects like you'd have with spoken English where, you know, I might, that someone from New York might have very different terminology for things than someone from like the bayou in Florida versus, you know, someone in the Southwest. So, so yeah, we, we did speak, um, uh, just an ASL, um, on set because that's what was, uh, needed in that case. Well, let's, let's talk about the international reaction, uh, you know, along with this, because let's say Spain, for example, I, I think you guys went over to Europe at one point. What was like the Spanish reaction versus the American reaction versus the French reaction? versus Argentina versus, you know, Russia? Yeah, so we, um, all of our, we did have, we were taking this experience around the country and we were going to take it internationally prior to the pandemic. So all of our international uh, screenings, if you will, have been virtual. But what's been really cool about it is that it it's had a pretty, like, universal re- reaction. You know, I, I would say um, the things that people have said in Singapore and, and Ireland and, you know, the number of other places we've been able to take this in India have been very similar to what people were saying when we were taking it across the United States. And that's been a really interesting thing. I mean, I think the, where I've seen a difference is that in different countries, um, 
people have different perceptions of like the disability community as a whole. So there have been some more um, distinct differences. We start to just kind of get more into disability. One specific example of that is I was, uh, I had the great pleasure to be um, a featured speaker at the India Inclusion Summit this past year in November of 2020, obviously virtually, um, which is a lo- one, you know, the largest summit of its kind in India around disability every year. An amazing guy named Faroz runs, uh, started it and runs it. Um, it's, and, and it's an amazing opportunity, um, to, for people from all around the world to speak to, you know, the country about disability issues. Um, we also did a feeling through experience there and something, and again, this is Faroz's words and not mine. I'm paraphrasing, but he's someone who is, uh, was born and raised in India where he spent most of his life and then had a child with a disability, ended up moving, uh, to the United States. Um, and has been here now for a while. But he, in his words, as he said, and the reason he created um, the India Inclusion Summit is because there, he, in his words, he said, he said that India in many ways is a couple decades behind, you know, say even the United States in the way that it kind of treats or kind of deals with on mass people with disabilities. Um, and, you know, so that is maybe one of the distinctions we've seen to some degree. But as far as the reaction of the film itself, it's been beautifully like uh universal the takeaways and i think that's been again in a climate like we are it you know now in this country and in the world i think anything that can have like a universally positive shared uh message and takeaway is something that's all the more uh necessary um in the time that we're currently finding ourselves in so that's been like a really nothing sure like really honestly a heartwarming and, and like beautiful experience to be able to hear these very similar, beautiful uh, responses from people all around the world. And that, that's an important thing because I think right now we really need, you know, some semblance of positivity, which I think we've been lacking significantly for the past, I, I'm going to say 15 years in the United States. Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're going to go back a ways. We're going to, we're going to blame three administrations on this one. <laughs> um, you know, we, but with something like this, let's take Robert, for example, now as an audience member. Um, he's deaf. He, like you mentioned, he had pinhole vision, um, you know, or a, a, at least a version of that. How does he get to enjoy in the experience of his work or someone that has a similar level of disability to him to enjoy this film? Yeah, that's a great question. So Robert specifically um it has been able to rely on his vision to see it he's gotten this what's something that's been nice is he's gotten to see it you know again prior to the pandemic on the big screen a number of times um and so obviously we always made sure to position him in the right uh seat in the theater so that he'd have if, if you know it would work best with his vision so he's been able to see it there um been able to see it you know on a on a on like a laptop and kind of like under the right circumstances to kind of allow him to see it in the best way but, you know, we've had people who are, um, you know, essentially, you know, close to the end of the spectrum of being fully deaf and fully blind who have had completely tactile experiences of the film. So, for instance, we've had um, when, prior to the pandemic, when we were doing in-person screenings across the country from New York to Hawaii and many places in between, we'd have as many as 50 interpreters and support staff at a single screening to provide one-to-one accessibility to to audience members, and that might include people who, at the entire experience, both films and the panel discussion, 
tactilely signed to them over the course of like the you know 90 to 120 minutes we'd be in there depending um so, so you'd have people getting the entire experience tactically signed to them you'd have people relying on uh, captions people relying on our sign language interpreters at the you know at the front of the room or, or positioned in, in key spaces so that they were accessible to the people who needed them and then you had people who were um, blind and low vision who might have experienced the film with audio description, which again is a track that um, describes everything that's visually happening on the screen so that you can create in your imagination a full picture of what's happening. Um, we had people participating in that way. For our virtual experiences, we make them as accessible as we can. So every one of them has an, an, a live interpreter box um, for our conversations, live captions, um, open captions for both films, um, audio description, of, uh, audio descriptive film version available. And also sometimes I'll send out, sometimes people uh, will request transcripts of the film ahead of time to familiarize themselves with them because they might need that extra time to do so. So we'll do that. And again, make a lot of specific accommodations around people's needs. So accessibility, there are like kind of the, the overarching like hallmarks of accessibility, but a lot of other kind of more specific ways to make something accessible um, when you're really working with the diverse spectrum of, of disability and accessibility. All right. Now, let's say we can finally gather again, because I know initially you started off in person do, doing these screenings. Um, and it's only it's only a little bit under 19 minutes. Um, do you give the audience an option to sit through all three screenings of those of us that have the ability to see whether with correctional lenses or, or perfect 2020 and hearing, uh, you know, the initial experience and then the varied experiences of someone that is vision impaired versus someone that's hearing impaired and, you know, turn it into like an hour plus experience that way. Yeah. So again, how we, how we traditionally done it is the feeling through experience tends to be this 90 minute event where we do, where we play both feeling through alongside the supporting documentary followed by a live panel discussion and Q&A. So that's how we've kind of traditionally done it, both in person and virtually. Certainly once we're able to meet in person again, we'd love to continue doing that and doing it. We, there's a lot of other opportunities to do it at conferences and such that we're working through. Were you were you referring specifically to like if someone who was sighted and hearing wanted to experience it, you know, um, without a, a, like one of their senses, like vision or hearing, is that what you're referring to? Right. So like, you know, do three back to back. So like, you know, I had LASIK so I can see 2020 now, you know, my hearing, my hearing is supposedly still great, uh, unless I don't want to listen to you, but <laughs> you know, but I get to watch the 20 minute version first. And then now I want to try to experience it with someone, you know, or from the perspective of someone that has visual impairment. Would you like give me a blindfold and then I have to listen to with the audio cues and everything else that, that they would experience and then someone that would be hearing impaired and so I'd be able to see it and now I have to read the subtitles instead. That's sort of like part of the experience. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting idea and it's something that we, we will certainly consider. You know, we, we certainly, um, you know, I know that the Helen Keller National Center often like does various you know, exercises for staff and I think people that attend sometimes to kind of simulate deaf blindness for people. But it would be interesting to like have the same audience of people experience it in several different ways. So, hey, you, may, you might have just given us a really great idea to try uh, on the other side of it. So long as I'm invited to one of those when we can finally gather, I'm good to go. 
you got an open invitation to any any ones you want to come to. I appreciate it, man. When you come to Southern California, we'll be all about it. And before I forget, Mar- Marley Matlin is one of the executive producers on this, so we have we have to mention her because she's had a thirty-five plus year career as a deaf actress. She's been a leading woman in television and film. So this is nothing new to her, and uh, it's got to be interesting now to add one more dimension that she hasn't experienced would be the blindness to all of this and get it from that perspective since she's so used to being the the one that understands it from the hearing-impaired community. Now she gets to experience it from the blind, uh, you know, the deaf-blind community. Yeah, you know, Marley has been such an amazing asset to our team. I mean, I was a huge fan of hers before getting to collaborate with her. And, and since she's joined the team, she's been such an amazing, um, you know, person in, in, in our discussions and helping spread the word about the film and the experience. Um, and, you know, something that was really great about Marley and some of uh, what is really important to her around the film and then the future of it is that, you know, she's someone who has obviously, as you pointed out, done a tremendous amount of work um, at, you know, as an activist for the deaf community and, and by extension often the disability community, but certain, certainly more specifically through the deaf community. But, you know, something that she was interested about that, you know, something that I've learned a lot about uh, during this process is that, you know, the deaf blind community is very distinctively separate from the deaf community, which is quite separate from the blind community. And there's very little overlap and really connection between the deaf blind and deaf community, often to a detriment, I guess you could say, because there's ways in which those communities could possibly come together and align more to potentially create more change for the disability community as a whole. And she was really excited about the opportunity um, to help build bridges between the deaf and deaf blind communities. Because something that we've talked about, you know, as we've done these fully accessibility, accessible screenings is building bridges between the deaf blind and community and the general public, you know, a great extension of that that she's been really excited about is building a bridge between the deaf and deaf blind communities so that this, this can almost be used as a tool or a vessel to help facilitate more of a connection between those communities. And we're, we're really excited about that as, as well as, uh, you know, in addition to our very active for your consideration campaign that we're, we're, you know, neck deep in right now and, and uh, pushing hard on. So she's been an amazing person to collaborate with and, and really excited to continue to do so. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have uh, one of those sleep masks. So the next time I watch the film, I'm going to put one of those on just to get a sense of uh, only an auditory response where I can turn on the closed caption that'll read it to me on the TV to get that experience. Uh, congratulations on this film, Doug. I, I'm really thrilled that I got to see it. I'm also really happy that it was a realistic situation instead of, ah, pity these people, because that always drives me crazy when it comes to something like this, whether it's race-related or religion-related or, you know, uh, disability-related or whatever. The, there's always somebody patting themselves on the back saying, look how I helped X, Y, Z, and that always drives me crazy. And you didn't do that. You made a very human story and I'm thrilled with with what you were able to put out in just under 19 minutes. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you, and you, you've asked amazing questions. And you know, for your for your viewing pleasure, I'll do you one better. I'll send you uh, the audio described version of the film, so you can hear the audio descriptive track that will go along with the dialogue and sounds of the film to give you to simulate 
that experience of someone who's blind or low vision who would be using that at one of our screenings. And that will even give you even better sense of, uh, how, you know, filling in your imagination and also simulating the experience of someone who's, who's blind or low vision. So I'll, I'll send you a link to that as well. I dig it, man. Sounds like a great time. Let me know next time you're out here in Southern California. We'll get together so we can talk about just movies in general and, and life and whatever else and crack some jokes and, and go from there. Uh, Doug Roland, where can we find you and the film on social media if we want to connect with you, and where can we see the film? Because I know it's done, uh, you know, it's rounds on the uh, on the film festival circuit. Sure. So um, you can find us at we're at Feeling Through on all the social medias, so we're easy to find. Um, so that not only includes you know Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but also our YouTube channel um, at Feeling Through or YouTube.com slash Feeling Through, which has a ton of other content on there because I do a weekly accessible live stream as well, where I talk with different people from the deaf blind. Uh, community and beyond disability community, disability community as a whole as well. So there's many, many hours of, of, of content on there. Um, I'm also at Doug Roland on all the things. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, exciting. Actually, this is like you're the first one to know this because it just got, um, you know, solidified this morning, but we are actually making the film, uh, widely available for the next, at least the next several weeks, starting tomorrow morning, uh, on, uh, um, uh, the YouTube channel Amaletto, O-M-E-L-E-T-O, uh, is one of the biggest, uh, hubs for short films around, and they will be, uh, premiering that on their channel tomorrow morning, uh, so that'll, it'll be widely available for everyone to check out for, again, for at least a few weeks, so we encourage people to, uh, to check it out there, and lastly, Though I'm from New York, I live in L.A. now, so we'll be able to do our catch-up sooner than we even expected. Ah, even better, man. Sounds good. I greatly appreciate it. You know, feeling through, it's a it's a great short film for your consideration. We'll link you to everything at the end of the of this audio interview, so you can go check it out. Follow Doug, follow the film, and we'll go from there. Doug Roland with one L R O L A N D. So when people look for you, great chatting with you, man. Awesome. Thank you. It was a pleasure.